the predominance uh, the pathogens in cannabis mostly are also in other industries. You take a look at E. coli, it's on lettuce. Salmonella, it's on chicken. Aspergillus is unique primarily, but it's, you know, you can find aspergillus in other plants, but it's primarily on cannabis. So there's these, and those are very important if you're smoking or you're consuming it and you're immunocompromised. It can be super deadly because it's going into your lungs. This is Lit and Lucid, your after-work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid, and we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products. And get cozy, cozy in, in the, the lit and lucid, lucid lifestyle. Welcome everybody to the lit and lucid podcast. We are on the final episode of the season, you guys. So thanks so much for joining us. We've had a really great season. Um, and make sure you stay tuned because we're going to have a super fun season coming up as well, starting mid-February. So make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter just to stay up to date for that because it should be super fun. But today, last but not least, we have Milan Patel. He is the co-founder and CEO of Pathogen DX. Pathogen DX has been an Arizona-based provider of microbial technologies since 2014. They've developed a multiplex microarray molecular-based pathogen testing platform. The company created an easy-to-use swab for testing cannabis crops for over 30 pathogens and delivers results in just six hours. They also provide technologies for food safety, environmental testing, and recently started offering human diagnostic testing to support COVID-19 response efforts. So with that, we're super excited for you to join us, Millen. We're really excited to learn more about this aspect of the cannabis industry. I know it's something we haven't really dove into too much, although we know a little bit about it. I'm sure you're going to tell us a lot more. So with that, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Lucy, Jared. I really appreciate this opportunity. I think we can, you know, make this a great season finale for, <laughs> for all of your viewers and uh, listeners. Absolutely. You know, we totally agree. Uh, this one's going to be really fun, in my opinion. Uh, really going to be talking a lot about science today and really getting a chance to, to nerd out and really kind of do what, what we formed this podcast to do. So uh, lots of great information to share today and, and more on, you know, more about clean cannabis, which is something that we've talked about in previous episodes and really haven't touched on this season at all. So excited to dig back into clean cannabis and cannabis testing and, and kind of figure out what Pathogen DX is, is all about. But before we get too far down the road, uh, let's learn more about you and, and how, uh, you know, this all came to be really and how you ended up in cannabis. Oh, great question. Um, so my background, I've got a basically a biomedical engineering degree and an MBA. I, I've gone ventured through several different industries in the automotive industry, in the technology semiconductor industry. And I've had uh, also uh, been CFOs of a couple of companies which have grown and scaled and exited uh, in the healthcare space. But my interest is, and passion has always been around uh, the biomedical side, the biotech side. And I really took me about 25 years to finally land on that, in that zone after uh, exiting out of my second company, I really had the opportunity to invest in, in sort of the biotech arena and I'd invested in the parent company to Pathogen DX. And what I found was, you know, it was really something that you can relate to. It's personal, right? What we all go through, what we're all going through, even with this pandemic. 
and something that you could actually bite your teeth into. It's tangible. And if you deliver a product or a service, you can make a significant difference. And so how I wound up being in this cannabis space is I'd invested in, a, in the parent company back in, 20, in 2011. And this company was really had a really cool technology where it could target uh, multiple targets. Like if you, I'll pick, pick an example uh, and uh, that everybody can relate to. In the case of cancer diagnostics, there's, there's, a, there's a specific mutation of your DNA and that's what creates cancer. You can have multi very different, multiple different types of mutations, just like we've been seeing with COVID you know, over the last year. And you can target a lot of those mutations in the same test to identify the cancer. But the idea was to make it very fast, very accurate, and very affordable. And in the case of that kind of application, things have not been affordable. They haven't been fast, and they but they have been accurate. And what I realized was I'd invested in the company, but it wasn't focused on a big enough market. It was focused on organ transplant. Like, you know, let's just say you and me, Jared, you know, my kidney and your body as a donor recipient, right? The DNA would need to be matched so that my kidney work would work in your body. It was a very small market. And I, I worked with the company and I said, look, we've got to think bigger. So I licensed out the technology and I created Pathogen DX because I looked around, I took a step back and I said, why is it that people still get sick on cruises? Why is it that, you know, uh, water is still contaminated? Why, does the, why are there so many foodborne outbreaks? Why is it that, you know, even we get infected with whether it's a viral or a bacterial infection, kids get strep? So I, I just summed it up and I said, the world is at war with pathogens and pathogens are bacteria, fungal and virus, viral organisms that either impact the purity or the safety of our of anything we consume or even our lives. And so I said, we've got to go after this market. And the reason why we decided to do that is because one, it's big enough. And two, we, we can attack multiple pathogens in the same test, you know, very efficiently. And that's sort of how. And so then I said, OK. If we started out in diagnostics like molecular clinical diagnostics, where everybody's trying to address the, the COVID problem right now, and we, had to, we would have to, it would take five years for our technology to get approved or longer with the FDA. It would take 10 times the money. So I took a step back and I said, where is it that we can really prove this technology that can commercialize it to show the value, you know, and then go into the FDA? And we said, cannabis because it was state regulated. There was still regulations. You still had to prove that something was safe. Yep. So we decided to approach this technology in the cannabis space because they were dealing with E. coli, salmonella, the same bugs, aspergillus, you know, plant pathogens, powdery mildew, all of these bugs. And that's how we wound up. And we realized, oh my God, it's like in the cannabis cultivation facilities, they were getting bombarded with at least 50 different types of pathogens. Wow. It was raining pathogens. Every day. <laughs> yeah. Not not to be about <laughs> it, but in many ways, it was a lot of opportunity to help the industry clean up. And that's how we got there. But my question is, you know, was it a strong learning curve, you know, going into the cannabis industry or was it kind of an easy shift for you? It was both. It was, it was a brilliant question you're asking. It was strong because we knew nothing about it. And in fact, 
our go, our guess was that this technology might help. But then when we what we did is we backed with the lorry and we basically gave three or four instrument test instrument pieces to the first the first lab was Steeper Labs in Northern California. So we said, hey, here's a here's a technology, here's a here's a piece of equipment. Can you use it? And then after six, you know, three to six months, they're like, oh my God, this thing is this. So we then knew what the application was, how we could have designed the technology for that use, you know, but it was a steep learning curve because we didn't really know what the bugs were. So we had to do a lot of outreach with cultivators, a lot of outreach with labs. At that point, there were no regulations in 2014, 2015. It was only Colorado was the first one, mm-hmm. but even then it was like still, I think 2016 or late mm-hmm. when things, when they started forming regulations. So we had to, we had to work, but the other part of the positive piece of it was Lucy is that it was a small car. It's still a small cottage industry. They wanted, everybody was in it together. It didn't matter if it was a cultivator, a lab, us, a manufacturer, a vendor, what have you. They were very open to sharing that these are our, the challenges we're, go, we're going through. And primarily because we was considered a quote unquote taboo industry. Mm-hmm. Now is not as much, you know, we were more open to sharing and that's how it was, they were, you know, we were able to help each other. That's pretty great. You know, it's funny that, you know, it's a taboo industry and, you know, it was, I guess, and, and the stigma is certainly changing. Um, but at some point, you know, science had to step in and help out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's where it's like a, a natural maturation point to get to this point where science is taking a look at this. And I'm curious, you know, are some of these pathogens that you're seeing in cannabis, are these, you know, commonly found, uh, you know, microbials or bacteria or viruses elsewhere outside of cannabis? Is it is it kind of like you guys are just applying... Uh, you know, a solution to cannabis, or is cannabis unique with certain pathogens and, and different things that it has? It, it's a it, the predominance, uh, you know, of the pathogens in cannabis mostly are also in other industries. You take a look at E. coli; it's on lettuce. Salmonella; it's on chicken. Aspergillus is unique primarily, but it's you know you can find aspergillus in other plants, but it's primarily on cannabis. So there's these, and those are very important if you're smoking or you're consuming it, and you're immunocompromised. It can be super deadly because it's going into your lungs. Oh, wow. So they're a pathogenic organism. And what's unique about cannabis is you get powdery mildew, but you also get powdery mildew in the agricultural industry, in the wine industry, in the apple orchard industry. So there's not really, you know, per se, it's not like the preponderance of most of those bacterial, fungal, or viral organisms um, are you, you know, are unique only to the cannabis industry. It it permeates across all these other ones. Now, latent hop virus, that's been really wreaking havoc across, hmm. across a lot of cultivators. That seems to be very unique to, to the industry as opposed to tobacco mosaic virus or cucumber hmm. mosaic virus that, that impacts basically the, the, the other parts of the agricultural industry. So it can break out where the viruses are unique to an industry, but typically the, the bacterial and fungal ones are, are cut across those other 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 markets and industries. That makes sense. I feel like, you know, when the last couple of years has been kind of rough for cannabis, because, you know, like you said, when we, the, the market was first established, when I, even in Colorado, I guess I can talk specifically about Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of odd that recreational cannabis had pretty strict testing standards compared to, at the time, then uh, medical cannabis didn't even have any testing standards. And so it was always kind of backwards to me that, that, you know, medical cannabis where people are consuming this for medicinal reasons and trying to use it to, to get in better health, uh, it wasn't being tested or put under this, you know, uh, strict of a standard uh, for microbials and bacteria and things. And so 
when it did start to come out and then they kind of um, played with, you know, the levels and stuff and, and the colony forming units and these different levels to, to pass or fail, uh, you know, people were kind of shocked to find out that cannabis had mold and cannabis had, you know, uh, powdery mildew and these things. But after kind of hearing you say that, it's a pretty standard kind of thing. I guess it's not standard in that you should just accept it as that is, but in the agriculture industry, you know, these things are, these things happen. It's, it's not, you know, unique to cannabis that it has mold or aspergillus or powdery mildew. It's like these things can happen in cantaloupe or, you know, like you said, lettuce or romaine, you know, we always go to the store and romaine's always being pulled off the shelf for something. Um, mm-hmm. So it's pretty, is it, is it like pretty common that agriculture products have, you know, an issue like this that has to be addressed? It is. It is like, for example, feedstock uh, for for uh, you know feed feed materials for animals like pigs, cows, what have you. Um, those tend to travel from the, the western part of the United States all the way to the eastern part on rail. Mm-hmm. And when when with that feedstock, you know what happens is in the environment that we're around, it starts growing mold, right? Eastern fun- fungus at the end of the day, just like a piece of bread sitting on on. Your countertop. If you let if you let it sit there, it'll grow mold, right? So, so just like uh, blueberries, uh, if you buy blueberries, you can see the white mold on them. Mm-hmm. And so those those we've identified that came from Chile. They literally travel 28 days, and they have to get they've come from the farms in Chile up to the border. Then they go to a, basically a processor, and then into so there's a certain amount of mold that grows in it. Now some of it's healthier. I uh, don't don't really impact you but others isn't or is harmful. So it's a normal thing for any anything that you consume if it's the environment will uh, biologically impact it because that's just normal. It's it's, it's part of the, the bacteria in the environment. There's fun- fungus in the environment. There's even, you know, viruses, but the thing is our our immune systems are able to to basically fight those off. But immunocompromised aren't. So going back to your point, medical Medical marijuana regulations. You're right. It was flipped in the case of Colorado, but when this when this world finally becomes federalized for us, it, you will see potentially the FDA, uh, you know, mandating much more stricter regulations. It's not just even testing. It's everything from where did you get your soil from, what kind of quality control did you buy, what kind of fertilizer, and and keeping records. So if if you're growing medical marijuana and it's being given to medical patients, and we're putting ourselves out in time where it's actually being used clinically, then the FDA will mandate, um, you know, a much deeper uh, audit capability to everything we do and how we grow it. And if it's grown in a controlled environment, did we follow SOPs? So going back to your point, but, you know, it, it, it goes back to the, the issue that, you know, anything we have to consume, you know, you can take it in some level of moderation, but they design all these regulations for the for not not you, the three of us who are super healthy, you know, but it's the ones that are sort of immunocompromised that have got pre-existing conditions. That's where the where we get into trouble. Interesting. That was kind of one of my first thoughts when you were speaking about this was the strawberries and the blueberries. I mean, I feel like every time we go to the store and you get home, you have mold on your strawberries. <laughs> and it's not like they're doing like a huge recall, like, oh, there's moldy strawberries today. That doesn't happen. But I know, right. I mean, just speaking from Colorado, you know, there's a lot of mold recalls here. So tell us, like, so how, first of all, like, where does this technology go? Like, is this happening in the testing center or is this happening in the cultivation? And mm. then from there, the second question would be, okay, so now you found, you know, mold or whatever it is. And then what happens? Like, how do we remediate? Yeah. So um, great questions. 
So our, our primary target market right now uh, that we serve is basically with, with our compliance testing. Really, every state is required to test for uh, micro, microbial or microbes, bacterial and fungal microbes on the actual product. So essentially, we, we sell testing equipment and, and kits to all of the cannabis testing labs. We have about 110 nationally across, I think, two, two dozen states overall. And so they basically take this technology and and I want you to think about it from a perspective that when when you have seven bugs that you have to test for per sample at the end of the day, then essentially it if you were if we the three of us were born in 1890, we would have to start off with the petri dish, Julius <laughs> Petri, right? And so this thing will take forever, right? It'll take three, <laughs> five, seven days. Yep. And you know. And the boss that we're working for in the cultivation facility will be banging it over our head saying, I need the result faster. <laughs> yep. When you're looking at like a high value added crop such as cannabis, it's in thousands of dollars per pound or what have you. You can't wait five days, seven days to find out, guess what? We just found out that this thing has powdery mildew or it's got aspergillus. And then we go back running into the warehouse where we're growing it and we can see two thirds of the cultivation has already been infested with it mm -hmm. or Right, so you've got to use a technology that's fast enough. So we we are that's why we get to a test within six hours. And multiplex means you're you're taking all the pathogens you're looking for in that one sample, and you're like testing it all in just one test and in one well. So you're avoiding this this simple Adam Smith division of labor where you're doing it one at a time, right? That's taking a lot of time, a lot of cost. So the labs are our primary target market right now, and as I said. We provide kits to make sure that the regulated testing work they're compliant on. The other part of it is we've got an EnviroX test, which is an environmental air as well as a surface swab test for the cultivators. Now, why does this matter? We can continue testing for the regulated test. That's going to that's always going to be there. In fact, New York has 15 pathogens for one gram of cannabis, right? That tends to be tested. The source of where our problems are at the end of the day is that the, the pathogens don't grow just by themselves naturally on, the, on the, the flower leaf material. They wind up on there like it's like a spore. So the, we have to get identified in the air and on surfaces. And the beauty of the EnviroX test is we have almost 30 to 50 pathogens all in a single well, not 50 Petri dishes or 30 Petri dishes, yeah. a single well. And within six hours, you can identify both the pathogens that are harmful to you, the environmental pathogens, and even the plant pathogens such as Boitritis, Fusarium, powdery mildew, to identify if this is unhealthy or this is going to be a, uh, you know, detrimental to the plant health. And so we made that available to all the growers so that they can, we can help them clean up their environment so it doesn't spread, right? And they don't pick a sample of that environment; it goes to a lab, and then they fail the, the sample. So that's our approach is that we want a full supply chain capability with this type of technology so we can prevent the out, the, the, the basically the outbreak within the cultivation. And even if they're picking a sample for the compliance or regulated testing, they have every chance of it being a clean sample. That was a great, a great kind of summary of it. And I think, I think it's really helpful what you guys have done too, because I used to work at a cultivation and it was like, 
I don't even know how to describe it when you'd send stuff off for testing and you'd be sitting there waiting for it to come back. And obviously, you know, the first one is like the pass fail of the microbial in the mold. And, and the next one, you're sitting around waiting for potency and potency was, you know, a pretty fast turnaround time compared to mold. But yeah, we'd always be like, we'd literally quite literally be waiting for it to grow on Petri dishes. And sometimes you'd get like a picture back or something to confirm it was clean or, or not. But I, I could see the, the relevancy of this, especially as a cultivator, because it is, it's painful to wait and watch. And then, like you said, a lot of it is, is time and money uh, that's mm-hmm. wasted. And then on the flip side, at the lab, I'm sure it's just as like beneficial on the lab side of not only are they saving uh, resources and and you know probably cutting down on on costs in some way of not having to have you know a bunch of petri dishes or a bunch of different equipment or a bunch more employees essentially to to manage all these tests so they can simplify it down, but also just in the time turnaround. I'm sure they're, they're able to serve a lot more people. I'm sure they're able to keep happier customers when they can get their test results back in, in a couple of days faster time. Uh, and then even more so, I love, I love how you guys are combining in uh, basically the, the reverse model of then if a cultivation does identify an issue, uh, you guys can go into the facility and help them rectify the issue so that the future batches are taken care of. I think that's where it's incredible where, you know, science is, is making this approach to help cannabis uh, clean up its act a bit and then kind of be proactive in that way of making facilities clean. Because like you, like we've already kind of discussed here, uh, clean cannabis is a thing and it can really affect your health. And so if these cultivators yeah. are able to get ahead of it, you know, they can preserve their crop and preserve their, you know, their cash flow and not have to, you know, throw a whole batch away or have to have it remediated. And I think the whole thing really is a, is a great solution to a problem that's really, you know, just now kind of becoming a problem and is, and is obviously going to be a problem as we continue to legalize across the nation. It's not like, you know, cultivators are never going to have mold issues again. It's just a thing that, that every cultivator is going to have to deal with. Yeah, I think, you know, adding to that and the brilliant point that you're making here is that, yes, we can remediate it after you've identified it. But if we can try to grow things in its purest sense, and I know that's very idealistic, mm-hmm. but if we have these technologies to allow us to do it, we avoid what other industries have had to do, Right. The food industry's plowed in antimicrobials into pigs and, and ha- chicken and cows so they don't get sick. Yep. So who consumes that? Us. Then when we consume, something about our health is going to suffer. We, whether we, we, we pinpoint it or not, scientifically or clinically, it, it pervade, it's pervasive. So I, I want to make sure that, okay, even if remediation technology is there, if you can grow it in its purest sense and identify where it's contaminatory contaminated, you cordon that off so the rest of the crop's absolutely clear. And it's as, it, I don't want to use the word organic because we can't under USDA rule, but it's sort of that way. And therefore, you're not then spraying hydrogen peroxide or, yep. or zapping it with RF technology or, you know, to, you know, unless it really needs it. But the thing is, the best thing is not to spray the stuff over. Like in the food industry, they're having to spread it, you know, wash lettuce with chlorine, right? Yep. Because guess what? It kills the bugs. You're a microbiologist. So we don't need to go there if we can introduce these types of technologies. And we, but we got to make it affordable. We got to make it practical practical, and we got to make it quick uh, and so that like, you know, and, and, and easy. And so these are the key driving forces because I want to see a world where whether it's cannabis or food or agricultural clinical, where we don't, we don't have to use antibiotics resist, you know, where you get now antibiotic resistance mm-hmm. markers now to some of us because we've got a staph infection or you've got a strep infection. It doesn't make any difference. 
we don't want to need to have the industry go in that direction because we're we're adding more fuel to the fire, if you get my point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, in terms of Pathogen DX, so tell us a little bit more about how your technology differs from what other companies might be offering right now. So basically, what we've developed is a, is a microarray. And the microarray is a simple uh, test that has the ability to, um, to basically test for up to 50 and maybe 100 pathogens all in the same test. So if we know what an abacus is, and you, you two may be super young, so I don't know if you remember, but an abacus <laughs> is basically, okay, neither of you know, but then <laughs> you were shaking. And I love that because that's, that is, in my, I'm old, right? So <laughs> essentially testing was done one at a time. So you do E. coli first, and then you do salmonella, then you do aspergillus flavors. So it's done one at a time. In multiplexing, you're doing all of the tests, all of those pathogens in a single test at the same time, and you're doing all of the other tests, all the other samples at the same time. So you're, it's like parallel, it's like parallel testing as opposed mm-hmm. to single testing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it flattens, it reduces the, it reduces the amount of work, it flattens the cost cost curve, and and then you're able to get a very accurate testing because it uses the ability to. Uh, amplify the DNA that you're targeting almost to its endpoint, the chemistry you're using, it'll amplify the smallest piece of DNA. So the accuracy is super powerful. And that's different than the other technologies like Petri dish testing, which takes days, very laborious, subjective to the human eye. Mm-hmm. You can't, not everything grows, you know, at the end of the day. And then there's qPCR, which is the, we've all been talking about, did you get a PCR test from COVID? That's a, basically a test that does does is very accurate. It's about 30 years old, but it's still, it can do multiplex testing. So in the case of uh, Colorado, which will probably have seven pathogens by the middle of this year, you can't, you'll have to single plex those and they, they cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, that's where we need to be cognizant to the, to the customers, like the cultivators. How could, how do you do it? Simple, simple. And that's why, how we get the multiplex component to just do it all in one well versus seven wells, if you get my point. Yeah, I see how you totally kind of are solving these issues. I know, I mean, I've never worked in a cultivation, but we've heard like testing is the biggest bottleneck. Like everybody's waiting on testing to come back and it's expensive and you have to do all these tests and it takes days and days and days. So I think you guys are really solving a lot of those problems for cultivators. So bravo. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want to touch on that because I was actually reading up on, on your guys' product a bit. And now there, there's kind of one glaring problem with PCR testing in general, and that is that it can amplify dead DNA as well. And so I know that you guys have obviously identi- identified that as a weak spot and uh, have created a solution for that. Yeah. Great question. So what, what, what we heard a lot of feedback about um, the live versus dead issue, right? So the, the, the good news on Petri dish is it's, it's, that it's a live cell. So it grows. Anything that's live, dead cells don't grow. So what we did was we realized early on that we needed to solve this. So a part of our process, when you take one gram of, of cannabis flour, you put it in a Ziploc bag with some um, uh, peptone buffered uh, or, or basically molecular grade water, and you shake it. And what's happening is on the leaf material, the flour material, if you've got a pathogen, it dislodges in from the flour and into the solution into the water solution. You draw that out and then you spin it. And so when you spin, you, there's a two-step spin. There's a, there's a low-grade spin where at 50 Gs, anything that's dense like flour material will drop to the bottom. 
And then what you do is you take the fluid at the top called supernatant mm -hmm. and you then spin it super fast, like 14,000 RPMs. Wow. Now, what happens in that step is basically when you have, uh, you know, um, free floating DNA from dead cells, they have no weight to them. Mm -hmm. So they just go straight to the top. Live cells have a mass and a density, so they, they sink to the bottom. So when you spin something like a centrifugal force, all of that, all of those live cells go to the bottom and create a little pellet. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is then you discard the top fluid and you're left with the, just the live cells. The other part of it is we then added what is called a, a bio, biochemical enzymatic step. So it's like cells that dead cells have holes in them. So we then introduced this, a special uh, patented technology where basically these dead cells will get plugged with this with this enzyme we add and we separate that out. So that's how we're able to get only the live uh, live microbes or pathogens in that pellet and then process that. And that's how we're able to solve it without having to do petri dish or culture culture tech, uh, culturing, if you get my point. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. I was going to say, you explained it better than my college professor, man. We I did all that wow. stuff. We we spun it. We had to get the pellet. I remember taking the micro pipette and pulling off the supernatant and... I never really understood why until now. So now I'm like, holy cow, we were pulling off the dead DNA. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand any of that. But the way you explained it was crystal clear. So yeah, yeah that was really cool. Well, that's super hey, Let's just say I sleep, eat, and just live this stuff. So it's like just a little bit natural. But I've had to, I mean, it's a very, it's a highly technical technology. It's very scientific. So we got to bring it down to, to, the, to us three, us three, the mm -hmm. average person, right? Yeah. That can understand how do you do something that addresses this pain point that you talked about, you know? Yeah. Well, that's pretty incredible. I think you guys are definitely on the right track with cannabis and really going to be a, a great resource going forward as, you know, this just continues to be an issue. And especially as cannabis kind of gets to that conversation of federal legalization, I think every episode of the season we've touched on it. So we know we're getting close or know at least there's a conversation to be had around nationalization of cannabis. So um, let's kind of move beyond cannabis a little bit. And I know that this technology is not you know, unique in the way to cannabis or its application to cannabis, you know, how else are you guys finding ways to, to apply this technology? Well, we, we were, our goal was, look, let's prove it out commercially. Like I said earlier, that it actually works and it works right in the hands of real customers and it drives real value to, to the, to the industry. Then we, we actually applied it into food. And so in the challenge in the food industries, they're still, enriching samples. So if you get 25 grams of romaine lettuce, they're having to put it in an enrichment broth, which means if there's E. coli, you want to promote that growth of E. coli so you know that E. coli is on there when you actually test it. The good news is cannabis is one gram. In the case of food, you deal with 25 grams or 375 grams of hamburger meat. So you're going to have to enrich that sample, which is okay. The bottom line is at the end of the day, you've got to make sure you get a super sensitive test. And so we now introduced the ability to, in the food world, to be able to quickly swab a surface in the way that the, 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 anything that the food world processes, lettuce or cucumbers or watermelons, or they have to swab that surface. And it's called, it's driven by the USDA and HACCP. It's basically any, if they want to identify if there's salmonella on that surface or if there's listeria or listeria monocytogenes. In 1970s, women that were pregnant basically lost babies because there was listeria monocytogenes, this pathogenic mm -hmm. species of listeria when they consumed it and it was from food. 
So now every food processor has to take a, a like a swab and get that swab tested. The problem is the swab doesn't get, you don't get the results in 48 hours. In our test, you get it within six hours. Wow. And so the, what we're doing is we're compressing the time and with perishable product like food, you suddenly increased your shelf time and the freshness of the food by another couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, and that that product's out there now available in the food, in the food safety world as we continue to increase the ability to test for not just the environment that the food is processed in, but even the food itself, whether it's leafy greens, romaine lettuce, you name it, you know, kale, blah, 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 you know, poultry, turkey, and then the beef. Those are the three key markets we're introducing products over the next couple of years. But in March of 2020, um, obviously, COVID brought us to the doorstep where we have an opportunity to, 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 you know, step up, right? We said we have to do this uh, to, to help the world. So we developed a COVID test. And we're one of 30 companies that are backed by the, the National Institute of Health, the federal government. They gave us money to, to develop the technology and not just a COVID test, but we are now introducing a, what is called a variant test. Hmm. And the challenge we we're all seeing last, last play out in the last you know 15 months is that we've been chasing these variants without us catching the variant. So we've developed a test that that is where the hockey puck is going. If you get my point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? The and the problem that we're having in, in variant testing is they use what is called next generation sequencing. Big machines that can that can that that are used for really R and D that go in and they start looking at the whole genome of the virus to see is this a different species or strain of of uh, the of you know COVID, and so that particular technology takes usually three to four weeks to get an answer. It's too late. We had yeah. thirteen variants from a year ago, and we had thirty mutations. In the last Omicron, had thirty eight mutations. Wow. So. We need a faster, more accurate technology. And so in the COVID world, we've now able to introduce this type of test to help identify that next, you know, quote unquote, Omicron, right? The next variant. So we can do something about it, right? Because I got COVID in January 1. So at the end of the day, Omicron hit me. I think a fifth of the United States were were, were hit by, by COVID-19, the Omicron version. And what we need to now do is that I identify these variants. And in the case of Omicron, none of the monoclonal antibodies work. So if if, if, if we were um, uh, organ transplant patients, we'd been through that, we're immunocompromised. So if Omicron hits us, guess what? The monoclonal antibodies, the therapies that Regeneron or, or AstraZeneca or, I mean, Eli Lilly had, they don't work. So this kind of technology helps them quickly identify what's the, what is the, the new mutations in in the in the in the in COVID nineteen and how can we help the industry overall develop a better therapeutic or a treatment as well as us anticipate what's what's coming next and that's what that's what we've done on the COVID front on the clinical diagnostics front I hope that sort of helps uh, helps explain what we've been where we where we've been busy you know outside <laughs> of the as well yeah I I think that's very helpful I mean that's been one of my major questions with the testing is like okay it says positive or negative but it's like for what you know variant like why do we not know this information and then I always just wonder to myself you know the next variant comes out and I'm like well how did they know it came out because like I didn't know that they were testing for the next variant so that's really interesting all the work that you guys are doing 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and then that in the same going to that point, that's how they did influenza. They'd have they they take these big sequencing machines, and Australia is sort of the leading country because they get winter ahead of everybody else, mm. and so they they take those strains and they identify what what is this version of influenza, and that's how they create the next influenza vaccine. Mm. That makes sense. Oh, and behold, this past see this this winter they completely missed it. So it's important to test for these variants. And what we do is we don't take three weeks. We, we, we get the variant test and the mutations in the same test within a few hours of the COVID test, in the same That's test. And so the good news is we're submitting that through the FDA for that particular test to make it more mass market available to clinical and CLIA labs so they can, they can use that technology. That's pretty incredible. You know, kudos to you guys for identifying an opportunity and, and finding another way to apply your technology, really. And and I think I was reading maybe the Forbes article and and you guys were talking about, you know, these approvals that you're getting, this integration with the federal government already. You're working with these agencies uh, and, and that's just going to help you guys in the future as cannabis continues to move along. You guys already have a dialogue open with with uh, these people at the top, so then you guys can can obviously you know uh, turn around and apply anything you learn, or or have, you know at least have a, a formal conversation uh, in between cannabis and, and, the, and the future regulators, I guess. Whereas right now, there's really none of those avenues really opened. That's correct, and it's it's a great opportunity for us. We're very thankful to the NIH as well as Radix that helped us fund it. You know, our, our mission is our job's not over. Our mission's not done. I mean, fundamentally, uh, my biggest you know. There are great opportunities to apply this type of technology across, you know, cannabis, food, agricultural, environmental, even clinical diagnostics. It's it's, it's an unmet need, right? Mm-hmm. And we can well really help. But I think overall, with the climate change issue we're we're seeing, you know, with with warmer waters, you're going to get superbugs in them. Mm-hmm. And if we don't uh, if we don't have technologies that are faster, super fast and accurate, and and affordable, then you know we're not we're not going to be allowed, you know, it's it's going to perpetuate and compound the problem. And so the good news is, you know, we, we've got the ability to Im- impact even on things that are out of our control, like climate change or sustainability, like current technologies like QPCR using a lot of plastic that goes into landfills and wastes, right? So we just use one well for all of those pathogens mm-hmm. as opposed to seven or 50. And so that drives better I mean, overall, better better use of of plastics and f- from a biodegradability perspective. So you know, the carbon footprint comes down, and and I'm giving you the side benefits of of you know why this technology is not just benefit for her, for you know what we consume or even us, but even from a, a global you know overall environmental perspective. And yeah. I think that's that's one of the key driving forces that I want to achieve uh, in in terms of reducing our carbon footprint, even in in testing as a whole and how much plastic we, we we use in getting a test result. Yeah. No, I think you guys are doing great. And really, I think you guys are solving, like you said, a lot of issues that that are that, you know need some solutions. And and ultimately I think anytime that we can we can figure out our problems sooner, such as identifying these pathogens or even if it's the next pandemic, just getting ahead of the curve a bit to understand, you know, the DNA makeup of it. Uh, I think we're all better off because of it, because, you know, faster action versus, yep. you know, we're, we're, we're two or three weeks behind the curve already and who knows what's going to happen in, in any medium or any, any industry, industry. I think uh, like they always say time is money, but I think even more what we're talking about right now is like time is very precious. And so time is of the essence, I guess. And you guys are really uh, compounding this, this time issue and shortening it for a lot of different applications. So I think it's great. 
Yeah, you nailed it. Time, time is precious and time is everything. That's exactly it. So, yeah. Yeah, so just one final thought. I know you are very well versed in all of these different types of industries. Have you found any specific lessons that you've seen that can be, you know, added to cannabis that you think will help progress the industry further? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's really driving, um, you know, the, um, the human behavioral component of it. We have a, we have a, we have a, you use the word precious. We have a precious opportunity to learn from these other industries. And, and before Big Brother comes in, before the USDA and OSHA and FDA come in, and, and I, I, can, I can't impress enough that if we, if we and we're, we're changing that mindset, I think we are, but I think if we act quicker and we are, uh, we have that we have the size to actually implement these these uh, these you know SOPs these standard operating procedures to really clean up our industry we won't suffer from 1800 foodborne outbreaks a year like the food industry is going through mm-hmm. we can really benefit from the pure purity of of the product and the plant for why this how this industry was born in the first place right but but, but while still being compliant to almost quote unquote quasi federal level regulations. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not saying there aren't any bad actors and where everybody's a good actor. It's hard. Every industry has that. But I think by learning now before the, it truly becomes federal, we can almost, we will be ready and we won't go through the same pothole mistakes that these other industries have gone through. And I think that's sort of my sort of last message. And I think that that's why I get very excited about this technology being used in cultivation facilities or in processors as well as testing labs, even dispensers, you can swab the finished product after it's tested to make sure it's not growing mold in a humid, you know, dispensary in Louisiana, for, mm-hmm. for example, yeah. right? and make it affordable, make it, make it quick and make it healthy. Right. And I think we can do that because we're small enough now. And I think there's, there's a manageable number of players in terms of decision makers to drive it to that direction. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, you're certainly doing your part and I think the industry is going to follow in your lead and, you know, why not if it's, you know, more efficient and, and provides a better result and let's do it, you know, let's implement it. <laughs> We've got nothing to lose. <laughs> exactly. All right, Millen, one final question. Uh, we are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? I'm lit. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Awesome. <laughs> That's fun. I'm on fire. Look. <laughs> <laughs> there oh, we go. Man. What a way to end the season. <laughs> That's great. Lit. Cool. All right, you guys. Well, this was an amazing season. This episode was great. Thank you all for listening and tuning in every week. And with that, I'm Lit. I'm Lucid. And that's it. Laters. 